You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast. Good choice. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeusoft.com with a whole host of tips and tricks to help you make better use of your technology. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley, and I will be speaking a little bit later on to my co-host, Gavin Phillips. In the meantime, however, we've got a bit of tech news to get through. Okay, so the first story that I want to uh, tell you about this week is the new features that are coming to Android uh, specifically to the uh, Google Pixel phones. Now, the fact that they're uh, heading to Pixel shouldn't be a big problem if you don't have a Pixel because eventually they will spread to other devices as they're incorporated into Android more fully. Uh, this is known as a Pixel feature drop, and the December feature drop for the Pixel 7 has been announced, and various details have been confirmed following various rumours. Perhaps the most interesting of these new features is called Clear Calling, which Google initially showed off at the Pixel 7 launch event in October 2022. Clear Calling brings headphone-style noise cancellation technology to phone calls. It removes wind and other background sounds to help make voices clearer. That sounds like a pretty good deal, actually. Now, there's a couple of uh, security additions to Pixel 7. Uh, you may know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, there's a free Google VPN, Virtual Private Network System, for Pixel 7 users. That's already available. There's also a new unified privacy and security page designed to alert you to any potential risks that you may need to deal with from your phone. Google has also announced a new recorder app for Pixel 6 and 7 devices. This can now identify and label different speakers in your recordings. Uh, this should help make transcriptions of conversations easier to follow and require less editing. And could be ideal for things like interviews or lectures or even podcasts. Uh, a couple of uh, other features are worth mentioning. Pixel 6 gains a snore and cough detection feature that was already part of Pixel 7. The Pixel Watch is getting Fitbit sleep profiles to help you track your sleep quality. And that's otherwise a Fitbit premium feature. There's new wallpapers. And you can even share your digital car key across Pixels and iPhones. And some select Android 12 devices will be added later. Voice message transcription in the messages feature is available on Pixel 4a and newer phones from now. And there's a grammar check in Gboard, which you probably know about already, but it now detects uh, French grammar. And finally, there's a live translate on the Pixel 6. And this has now been added to with five new languages, Arabic, Persian, Swedish, Vietnamese, and Danish. And as if all of that wasn't enough, if you own a Pixel 6 or Pixel 6 Pro, a Pixel 7 or a Pixel 7 Pro and have uh, Pixel Buds Pro, although that last bit is not necessary, Google is bringing cinema-style spatial audio to the platform in January 2023. Uh, 
it's a feature that's already available on iPhone through AirPods, and it's uh, more widely used across the industry with Apple Music and Netflix adopting spatial audio features. So this is a really useful feature to have going forwards. So that's nice, interesting, entertaining news about a new feature that's coming along to a phone that you may well own. However, it's not all good news. It never is. We're hearing that there has been a huge LastPass password manager breach, which leaked customer data. Now, if you don't use a password manager, you're probably one of the few that don't these days. Password managers are everywhere. They're in all manner of software, from VPNs and standard antivirus security suites to browsers. My personal preference of a security of a uh, my personal preference of a password manager is a tool called KeePass, which is an open source password manager which has various tools across different platforms. I consider it to be a bit more reliable than the previous password manager that I adopted, which was LastPass. LastPass has suffered another data breach. This is not the first. This has happened various times over the years. And every time, customer information has been accessed. On November the 30th, LastPass confirmed it had suffered a data breach in which customer data was accessed. In a security notice, it stated that the company detected unusual activity within a third-party cloud storage service currently shared by LastPass and an affiliate GoTo. LastPass confirmed these details on its Twitter page about the incident as well. They've teamed up with Mandiant, an American cybersecurity company, to investigate the breach and then alerted authorities of the attack. Now, the previous data breach for LastPass was in August 2022 and uh, they found with this most recent hack that information obtained from that earlier hack was used in the November breach. LastPass is keen to emphasize and assure that passwords are not at risk. It also stated in its security notice on the instant that it will continue to deploy enhanced security measures and monitoring capabilities across its infrastructure to detect and prevent further activity from malicious actors. Okay, so a quick uh, summary of uh, previous LastPass security issues. In 2019, there was a security flaw that could have allowed hackers to scrape login details. Uh, there was also a browser extension vulnerability in 2017. Uh, LastPass has been a bad experience, shall we say, for a lot of people. It boasts over 33 million customers and 100,000 business users. So... It's almost comical. If it wasn't so serious, it would be comical. It's farcical that LastPass should be so poor at the basics. Security. User security. This is a service that holds passwords for accounts like the ones you use right now. They're accessed through a master password. You can access your LastPass pass account uh, from a mobile phone or from a desktop computer. The fact that it's even susceptible to breaches is beyond the pale. The fact that it should be uh, subjected to uh, breaches is not a surprise because, you know, hackers want those passwords. But that LastPass is not equal or aware of these threats and isn't doing everything possible to prevent them 
Now that's another matter entirely. Rant mode off. Let's take a look at what we're going to be discussing in today's really useful podcast. In a few moments, I will be chatting with Gavin Phillips on the topics of free streaming services, how to use a VPN on a smart TV, and different types of Wi-Fi or wireless networking. Let's kick off. The seven best free video streaming services that everybody should use. Now, this is good at this time of year, or certainly under the current circumstances where uh, certain things are going up. We have inflation, we have uh, prices going up, whether inflation or caused by conflicts of uh, fuel prices and stuff. It might be one of those times where you think, well, uh, the price of everything's going up. Maybe I need to make some cuts. You might want to cut Disney or Netflix or Amazon Prime, although that obviously has other benefits, or Hulu or any of those other things. I don't know anyone who has a subscription to Paramount, but there must be someone out there who's uh, keeping it going. So uh, there are a bunch of free streaming video services that are worth you knowing about. Uh, this is quite a uh, quick summary uh, featuring a conversation in the middle, which I'm going to warn you about now because I know it's going to happen. Uh, so the <laughs> first one you can check out is Crackle, which uh, has a... I'm just looking at the screenshot of Crackle. It's got a ton of decent movies. It's got uh, most of the Spider-Man movies, uh, the old Spider-Man movies. It's got a load of TV shows like... Um, Charlie's Angels, Fancy Island, Partridge Family and Starsky and Hutch. Perfect if you fancy the old stuff. There's IMDB TV, which I've tried in the past and found it absolutely chock full of adverts. And then curiously, the time I tried it, or one of the times I tried it, I clicked it to watch a particular show and it brought up a completely different show. Um, not really sure what that was all about. There's Plex, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Um, if you choose to use Plex, you can find that there are it has programming that's free. Whether or not you enjoy it or not is another matter entirely. There's Pluto TV, which is owned by Paramount, but it's not the Paramount service I was talking about before. It also includes CBS and Viacom networks and features movies, entertainment, news and opinion, all that sort of stuff. Um, you'll probably find that it's largely the old stuff because the popular stuff is either on the main streaming services or has been uh, found out to other streaming services for a lot of money so if you enjoy uh, the funds you can watch happy days that's there on pluto tv the roku channel has knight rider and the rockford files and loads of other stuff they also have some live channels such as accuweather abc news cheddar and it also has <laughs> roku originals i was on cheddar a few years ago do you remember yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I was uh, invited on to discuss um, a few techie things, including the idea of uh, doing your own um, carpool karaoke using a dash cam. But the other reason I wanted to mention Roku is the um, the upcoming movie Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, it looks really good, doesn't it? It does look really good. And I've been a Weird Al fan since uh, at least the days of Transformers the movie because he had a, <laughs> he has a track on that called Dare to be Stupid. But I think I was aware of him before that because I remember um, f um, um, Eat It uh, from when I was a kid. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, there is Tubi, which uh, leans heavier on movies. So you'll find things such as, uh, well, apparently Armageddon is on there. 
which is always good value if you want an action movie with a bit of weepiness in it. Uh, there's also shows such as uh, Anger Management, Bachelorette, I don't know what that is, The Masked Singer, everyone knows what that is. And a few other things, a bit of sport on there as well, NFL Channel, MLB Channel, Fox Sports, lots of stuff. And there's Zumo, spelled with an X, which offers programming in live channels in a traditional TV guide layout, and it has a good selection of live news if that is your thing. Uh, so, yeah, lots of free streaming video services that uh, anyone can grab. They have mobile apps. They have um, smart TV apps, Amazon Fire and Roku boxes and sticks, that sort of thing. So pretty much anywhere that you have access to the internet, computers as well, you should be able to uh, grab all of those services. Do you, have you checked any of those out, Gavin? Uh, I think I've used Crackle before. Um, I've definitely used um, bits on Plex, actually. Um, one of the other things you can do with Plex that is outside of programming and films and what have you is uh, connect to one of your friend's Plex collections. I don't know if you've ever tried this, oh, right. Christian. Um, so I've got a good friend who lives uh, somewhere elsewhere in Europe, uh, and he is a bit of, obsess uh, of an obsessive with... Um, downloading everything shall we say <laughs> so he he's runs an archivist own... he is an archivist that's the perfect word for it absolutely but uh, he runs uh, his service that he likes to call peter flicks <laughs> which is his name is peter <laughs> then he'll so, give uh, him away yeah yeah <laughs> so um he maintains a collection of extremely high quality videos so we connect to that every now and then so that's that's quite another it's another useful thing you can do with with plex there okay let's carry on now to the most common wi-fi standards and types explained there's a lot going on with wi-fi that most people aren't aware of there are standards there are friendly names there are new types of wi-fi coming out all the time i didn't know anything about wi-fi 7 I didn't know anything about Wi-Fi 6E either. And there's a lot to kind of understand here. So as with anything in our chats, check in the show notes for this because it will expand on things in greater detail. But Gavin is going to tell us a little bit about Wi-Fi standards and particularly about Wi-Fi 6, 6E and Wi-Fi 7. For sure. Thanks, Christian. So I won't go through the uh, entire history of Wi-Fi standards because that would take us all the way back to the original creating bed. Nine, all the way back nine... to bed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it started in 1997, which very long time ago, um, and the maximum connection speed at that time was a whopping 54 megabits per second, which actually isn't that bad. The whole world ran on that connection speed for a really long time, didn't yeah. it? Um, but focusing more on the more recent standards that most of us will have likely used, there's the confusing naming standards, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, so there's 802.11n, which was introduced in 2009, and it was the first one that operated on both the 2.4 gigahertz and the 5 gigahertz channels. So that's when you have a, a dual band Wi-Fi router that produces two signals, um, and the 2.4 gigahertz signal goes further, but it's slightly slower. The 5 gigahertz signal doesn't go quite as far, but it offers a faster connection speed. Uh, now, the next one after that was 802.11ac, and uh, that was released in 2014. And I think really that's the one that, that the vast majority of people really will have used, won't they? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was when like 
everybody then had a, a proper Wi-Fi router in their home and it really brought Wi-Fi into the consciousness of really everybody. Uh, and if you weren't using an AC connection, people would say, well, your, your Wi-Fi is too slow. We don't really have those conversations anymore, do we? Oh, your Wi-Fi is a bit slow. Um, and then the most... Well, the next one up is uh, 802.11ax. Um, and this is offering up to 10 gigabytes of speed, uh, introduced way better connectivity, more connections to a single router at the same time, which will speed up the entire network. And that uh, was released in 2019. So that's the most recent of them all. Uh, and I'll just tell you briefly about the next one coming up before I discuss the different names of these uh, actual Wi-Fi standards. So the next one coming up is called 802.11be and its specifications aren't completely finalised yet but it will become the successor maybe in 2024-2025 but that should bring enough data to go as high as 40 gigabits per second which wow. is what's that like a four times improvement on the previous yeah. standard um, which it's kind of hard to quantify because using speeds like that are so out of the ordinary for the vast majority of us. Like I'm still using a an AC router. I think the vast majority of people are, really. Um, so even boosting up to the next one uh, from AC to AX will give you a huge boost. When BE comes out, um, the Wi-Fi speeds are just going to be just bonkers. Yeah. Um, so with all that, so the... The important thing to know now is that I've given you all that gibberish <laughs> um, and there are actually two types of Wi-Fi naming standards. So the one I've been referring to here is the standard delivered by the IEE, which I can't remember what that stands for, International something. <laughs> but uh, so their standard is the one that includes all the numbers, IEE 802.11ac. Now referring to that is somewhat confusing. So a separate organisation called the Wi-Fi Alliance said, hold up, let's simplify this. Let's make this way easier for everybody to understand because a list of numbers followed by two completely random letters doesn't make sense to anyone. So uh, a few years ago, they changed it so that 802.11ac now correlates to what's called Wi-Fi 5. Then 802.11ax, which was released 2019, is now called Wi-Fi 6. Somewhat confusingly, <laughs> they released another one called Wi-Fi 6e, uh, which is also called, relates to AX. Uh, and then the next one that comes out, if it is indeed 802.11be, will be known as Wi-Fi 7. Now, the Wi-Fi Alliance names are meant to really just drastically simplify the entire process. If you see a router that says Wi-Fi 6 on it, you'll know you're going to get faster speeds than one that says Wi-Fi 5. If you yeah. see one that's Wi-Fi 7, you know it will be faster than 6 and so on. Um, but streamlining the the naming system makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. My phone, uh, one I just got recently, which has an entire story behind it, which might come along in a future really useful podcast, uh, it displays the Wi-Fi um, number 
in the little Wi-Fi icon, which is quite oh, that's nice. clever. Yeah, it's it's one of its few good features. <laughs> um, so, that, and this is um, it's running. Uh, I think it's running Android 11, whereas my phone that runs Android 12 doesn't do that. So I'm not sure if there's something I need to click in order to do that, but it's quite useful. So it tells me that the router it's connected to is Wi-Fi 4, which is an old Sky Hub router, which, I mean, that all adds up. It, you know, it shouldn't be anything faster than that. It certainly shouldn't be anything older than that. So it's quite useful to have that. So devices may tell you which type of Wi-Fi router you're connected to. That's um, very useful information, Gavin. Thank you for that. As I say, everything that Gavin's just explained is in the show notes if you want to do a deep, deep dive or delve deeply into that. Um, it occurred to me the other day, my, my niece wanted to watch Netflix and she wanted to watch a very specific thing that she's been watching at home, but she can't watch it because uh, I was using... Uh, I had uh, the VPN activated so she couldn't watch it because the wrong library was enabled because I mean, not everyone knows that you can actually set up a vpn to use on your smart tv which seems both obvious and also wow doesn't it i guess because most smart tvs i think most smart tvs are android tv aren't they but there are some that aren't and the ones that aren't don't really play well with well i mean you, there's very few vpn apps specifically for them there's other methods of uh, the smart dns and things like that that you can use but um you know, ba basic VPN services for uh, smart TVs, uh, they're kind of something that people, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, basically, people buy TVs, don't they? And then you buy a new TV and you get all these apps because it's a smart TV and there's, it's very difficult to get hold of a dumb TV these days unless you're buying a monitor, I guess. And having the all these things in front of you ready to run, etc. and then... It is a very Android-like experience, but at the same time, it's different to like a phone or a tablet. You, having a VPN is probably not the top priority, is it? No, I don't think it is for most people, unless they're doing, like you said, and they want to access uh, a different sort of geolocation so they can see a different uh, Netflix library or what have you. Yeah, I do think, though, um, the use of VPNs for this, uh, for this specific use has entered more people's minds though over the years um and it's actually netflix and other online services that have brought about sort of more of a proliferation of vpns because before that it was all about you must use a vpn for privacy uh you know and it's better for security and, and so on but there wasn't so much onus on the your you will appear to be in a different location effectively hmm. and now that people know that you can do that you see more people using it um and there's also the services like you know bar the legality issues of it like uh ip tv and stuff like that so yeah, if yeah. you're if you're using ip tv rightly or wrongly <laughs> uh it's strongly suggested that you should also use a vpn because you are effectively breaking the law <laughs> um and if it's built into your tv it just makes it that bit easier doesn't it yeah absolutely now there's uh, various bits and bobs that you need to uh, know about this whole thing so if you've got an android tv you're fine if you're using tizen os which is what most of the samsung tvs use uh you probably won't be able to get a vpn for it which means you need to set up the vpn on your router or uh, on your computer and connect the tv to your computer to your network via your computer which is a bit of a mess um if you use an android tv you can install a vpn by going to apps get more apps click search select the vpn you need which you've presumably already signed up to 
click install, and then when everything's ready, uh, click open, start the VPN, select the uh, territory that you want to connect to, and uh, then uh, access the streaming app, and you should get access to a new library. Now, I'll say should, because only a few VPNs actually reliably uh, provide alternatives for uh, Netflix. Um, Netflix and VPNs have been uh, sort of loggerheads over the past few years in uh, trying to block the VPNs, and the VPNs have uh, counted this by uh, working around the blocks. So there are five VPNs that I've tracked down that are reliable for Netflix and other streaming services accessing alternate libraries. They are NordVPN, ExpressVPN, Hotspot Shield, Surfshark VPN, and CyberGhost. Uh, of those, I should uh, uh, clarify, I use NordVPN personally, and Netflix I've previously used personally, as I have uh, CyberGhost, and I've reviewed Surfshark VPN previously. I don't think I've used Hotspot Shield, although I may be incorrect in that. There's a lot of VPNs out there, and I've used a lot of them. Uh, make use of readers can get three months free when they sign up to ExpressVPN with a specific link, which is in the article, in the show notes that I'm going to give you. Um, those are the five that you should prioritize. They're the ones that are going to be the most reliable with Netflix, Disney+, Plus, maybe in French, Prime Video Library of India, wherever you are in the world, that kind of thing. They will provide access to those libraries. Thanks to Gavin for joining me for this week's show. I want to move on now and just uh, cover a few things. First of all, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am at the Gadget Monkey. Gavin is at Gavin Spavin, and Ben Stegner, who occasionally joins us, is at Stegnosaurus. You can also contact the show via the main Make Use of underscore official channel on Twitter and our Facebook page as well. If you find anything useful in the show, we would appreciate it if you would share the show with your friends, family, whoever you think might feel some benefit, or your followers on Twitter, whatever. If you leave us a review on iTunes or what's now known Apple Podcasts, let us know and we may read it out. Now, coming up in the next few weeks on the Really Useful Podcast, it's December 2022. We've done a bit of pre-recording to uh, cope with the demands of Christmas on our various families and the fact that we're basically running a podcast across the Atlantic. And it's not always easy to do, not with uh, make use of dot-com demands in there as well. So next week on Wednesday the 15th, Big pardon, Wednesday the 14th of December, we'll be looking at some Christmas apps as well as the most recent tech news. The week after, it's more Christmas apps to get you in the mood for Christmas. That's on Wednesday the 21st. Once Christmas is out of the way and we're approaching New Year, Gavin Phillips, Ben Stegner and myself will be in conversation to discuss 2022, the year in tech, our review of the year featuring our favourite tech, worst events of the year, and also our favourite video games of 2022. That's coming along on Wednesday, the 28th of December. Thank you for joining me this week. We'll be back for a new show next time. Until then, it's goodbye. Goodbye.